Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast and what a treat we have for you today. You know that this summer we are getting a whole bunch of new guests to join me to talk about those old movies we all love so much. And uh, this week he is uh, debuting, debuting, I don't know how to say words, he is debuting, it is his first time on It's a Wonderful Podcast, and I'm very happy to have him here. I've been wanting to get him on for quite a while, um, and now, I guess, it all just worked out. And he has picked the movie today, but he will tell us, I'm sure, what that is. Once I introduce him, James White, hello. Hey, Morgan, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. I'm very excited because I got to watch this movie again. It's such a great movie, isn't it? It really is. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone what you picked today? Of course, I let the guest pick. I, I, I kind of, it was always a thing that I did with older shows I did. I would always let the guests choose a certain topic or whatever. And uh, with uh, It's a Wonderful Podcast in its current state, it opens up the conversation to things that, while I may not necessarily choose first time, doesn't mean I don't like them. But yes, James, what is this movie? Well, it was hard for me to actually pick a movie, man. I wanted to go through about five or six different movies, and I'm looking through. It's like, all right, you guys did that one. Yeah, you guys did that one, too. <laughs> you got, Yep, yep, you did that one, too. But um, one of my favorite movies that I was really introduced to just a few years ago is the 1944 film noir classic Double Indemnity, the great uh... Billy Wilder. Um it's really what revolutionized the film noir. You know, it's it's kind of what set the stage for all those movies to come. And I, in my opinion, it's not been topped. You know, it is the best film noir that I've ever seen. Um, I even put it up there, you know, ahead of Maltese Falcon. I don't really consider Casablanca wow. too much of a film noir um, because it doesn't really no. have a femme, it doesn't really have the femme fatale um, that you expect no. from a film noir. Um, I still think Casablanca is a better film in in the long run, but straight film noir, I don't think you can top Double Indemnity. I mean, that's a that's a bold statement right off right from the get go, and I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> um, I would I would arguably say that it isn't even Billy Wilder's best film noir. Uh, what are you putting above it? I'm putting Sunset Boulevard above it. Yeah. But Sunset Boulevard really built on everything that Double Indemnity laid the path for. I don't disagree, but I you still get, think it's a better film. You get the opening surprise in Sunset Boulevard that, that you're going to yes. do flashbacks. This is very similar to what they do in Double Indemnity. Um, and I think that with Double Indemnity, with, with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Billy was able to just kind of subvert expectations casting two really popular film stars that that are not thought of as you know despicable people that they are portraying in this film and you're expecting something that you don't get and i think they really rise to the occasion it just stands out more to me than sunset boulevard even though there's more iconic moments in sunset boulevard yeah um i do like i do like that as well casting such a I always, I always like casting such the, these good-hearted uh, icons in certain grey, darker 
roles. I always go back to Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West as the perfect example of yep. something like that, uh, the good guy portraying the bad guy uh, with such a, a surprise there. But that is really what's great about film noir anyways, that everybody is very grey, um, pun completely intended because of the beautiful black and white that all film noirs are in. Right. Um, but yeah, when it comes to when it comes to Sunset Boulevard, just f- to start off with, um, yes, there's more iconic stuff in there, but I actually feel like Norma Desmond is the best noir character there is, just because I think her. Maybe it's something to do with my own feelings and my own way of my the way my own mind works. But I think Norma Desmond and her struggle of reality and her desire for the fantasy and not coming to terms with what's actually going on and being happy, living in her own world, um, even, you know, to the point of making everybody else's lives kind of difficult, but they sort of go along with it just to help her because she's that damaged. Right. Maybe that's what I really like. I mean, that is what I really like about Sunset Boulevard. No, I mean, Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard is a fantastic film. I mean, and nobody's going to say otherwise. No, but so is Double Indemnity. And I uh, I do agree with you when you say that uh, he kind of... Billy Wilder, he... 1944. Okay, I'm going to do this... Re- I'm going to do this film noir. And, I'm, and like you said, he builds on that later on. But a, a lot of the trademarks, for lack of a better word, are... Very, very noticeable in uh, in Double Indemnity. It's what is fascinating about film noir in the sense that it always brings up moral questions and has some of the most intriguing performances um, in in movie history, I would say. The, yeah, the genre itself. And it's such a, a well-balanced cast, too. Um, Sunset Boulevard, you know, you, you have one strong strong performance i think carrying that movie more Mm -hmm. than anything but with double indemnity you have three really really good parts in there with fred mcmurray barbara stanwyck and edward g robinson is incredible as as keys as barton keys and i personally think it was a crime he was not even nominated for an oscar for that movie um, Double Indemnity got seven Oscar nominations, didn't win any of them, but Edward G. Robinson Which wasn't is even nominated. Scandalous. Because I, I think um, he gives the best performance in that entire movie. Also, you know, similar to McMurray and Stanwyck, you know, playing good guys, everybody has that picture of Edward G. Robinson as as this bad guy of, you know, the 20s and 30s and all yeah. this stuff. And for him to play this, this morally upright, you know, insurance adjuster, um, it's just so out of character for him as well, but it's such a strong performance, and it's really a crime that he wasn't nominated. I mean, he's definitely like he's definitely the uh, most good-hearted person in the movie. I think it's fair to, say. or at least most good-hearted major character. And it's not a big cast; it's no. really quite a small cast, um, very much centered around those uh, three and. From those three, Edward G. Robinson has definitely the least to do. But, but I think also, he does the most with what he has. That w- that is 
that is fair. It's been quite some time since I saw, since I last saw uh, Double Indemnity before watching it again for for this recording. Um, and from what I remembered, and from what I started to sort of feel again towards the beginning of uh, of this movie, I was just thinking, Stanwick is killing this. Stanwick is. I mean, Stanwick is putting Fred McMurray to shame, and Fred absolutely. McMurray himself gives a great performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I do, almost kind of agree with you. When Edward G. Robinson comes in and has a bit more to do slightly later on in the movie, he is absolutely killing every single word of dialogue and every little movement and it seems like billy wilder just knows how to direct him yeah which is kind of odd really when you re when you look at edward g robinson's career of being in you know little caesar and right. these gangster movies where he's like this scumbag person and uh whether he's down on his luck or just kind of a violent tough guy yeah. um i i completely agree it's the direction of Billy Wilder is just really the center stage that in the cinematography, because it's a beautifully shot film as well. Um, of course it is, but, but just staying on, on Edward G Robinson, I think that he just, every scene he's in, it doesn't matter how much he has to do in the scene. He carries the weight of the picture kind of on his shoulders. It seems like he steals every scene he's in just with, you know, two or three lines of dialogue. And yeah. And, he's just really the standout for me, even though McMurray and Stanwyck are fantastic. And, and Stanwyck is, is another one that she doesn't have to say a lot, just her presence on camera and, and kind of the thoughtfulness behind her eyes. You can get a lot out of that performance just from looking at her. The sign of a good actor is use your eyes properly. That's right. Um, although having said that Edward G. Robinson has such a, a unique way of speaking. He's got it, and, and whether it's his voice or he's kind of very, very fast talking in this movie. Well, it's um, kind of the sign of the era too. That was that was it very, is. very popular back then, is to do all the fast talking. Subtitles are a it blessing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, even though I, I, uh, I don't, I know, I know, I might, I might actually be in the minority of this. I know quite a lot of people that do like to watch everything with subtitles. Oh, see, I am. Rega I, I watch almost everything with subtitles. Is. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe that just never occurred to me to do. But I, uh, I never, I never watch English language with subtitles on. See, yeah, I thought I was in the minority, and then I heard about all these people, you know, of, of our generation. There's a lot of people that yeah. do it. It's it's a very very popular thing, and. I did it just to to catch minute details and things like that for trivia reasons or just for film appreciation reasons. That way I didn't miss a line here or there. And I don't read every line, but it really helps, especially with movies like this and of that generation, to be able to pick up on things you might miss on first viewing. So maybe you're able to retain a little bit more after one viewing as opposed to rewatching it a couple times. Yeah, I guess whether it's little sort of... But it's a double-edged sword because then if you're looking at subtitles, you're missing out on some of the, the cinematography or you're missing out on some things visually that you might not. So Yeah, and that might, and that might be why. Because I often say on any show that I have ever done, mainly this particular show, if I'm being honest, that I am very much a, a visual viewer of movies. Um, 
I I will happily I will look at movies as a painting above a a, a story. Right. Um. I know, like everybody, always loves her. Oh, predict. Let's predict the story. And you could do this very easily with Double Indemnity. You could sit there at the start of Double Indemnity and sort of plan out what's gonna what you think might happen. What's gonna happen? Who's gonna you know find out what's happening? Who's gonna team up with who? Who's gonna murder who? Um. And that can be fun for some people. That's not how I. That's never been how I view movies. Right. I look. I look at each frame, each scene, and ask the movie, "What are you trying to tell me?" Right. And then I get that from that particular shot. That's why some of my favorite movies are some of the most sort of beautifully striking cinema, cinematographical, if that's a word, movies. It is of, now. Uh, it is now. I mean, it's a great word. I mean, it's got about eighty-four syllables, but that's right. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I I tend to appreciate dialogue. I think a little okay. bit more. Um, I love like a good Aaron Sorkin screenplay, things like that. Yeah. But there are plenty of moments. My favorite movie. I I change it up what my favorite movie is, but today my favorite movie is Jaws. <laughs> um, but my favorite yeah. scene in Jaws is between two it's either the indianapolis scene where they're going over that that story and and robert shaw is just incredible or the the most underrated scene in that movie is just quint with his son at the dinner table just doing the little hand gestures and and he's copying him and there's no dialogue in that scene but you get so much humanity and so much of what brody is going through just in that little glimpse so i i see where you're coming from is if you pay attention to every scene visually you're going to be able to get a lot more than if you listen to just the dialogue but there's also a a good portion of movies that that the dialogue is just above and beyond the cinematography and i think this movie i think double indemnity is a great blend of the two you have beautiful cinematography with witty you know whip smart dialogue and obviously helped by like like we've said, three kind of stellar performances. Right. And it is kind of a little bit ridiculous how it won zero Oscars from its <laughs> seven nominations. Um, I actually think oh. Barbara Stanwyck was maybe nominated for lead actress, I think, five times or so in maybe ten years. Never won. Wow. And one of them was for was for this. Right. I was actually doing a little bit of research um, after rewatching it and and looking up some things, and I found some interesting information from TCM of all places, of course. And okay. They were talking about um, how the the screen partner, the screenwriting partner of Billy Wilder. Um, I yes. cannot remember his name. Yeah, he did not want it's any Ra- part. Of, yeah, he didn't want it's any Raymond part of Chandler. This. No, in this one it was, but his his traditional screenwriting partner oh i see right he didn't want any part of it because of the uh the elements of the film he thought were lewd and things so yes raymond chandler came on yeah who is you know a a renowned uh crime writer in his own um but chandler and wilder hated each other they did not get along whatsoever um and chandler was an alcoholic and and all these things and when it was nominated for best screenplay um, Billy Wilder didn't invite Chandler to the Oscars along with it, 
which Chandler was I mean, furious yeah. about. Um, yeah. But the ironic part is that in 45, just a year later, Billy Wilder won Best Screenplay and Best Director and Best Picture for The Lost Weekend, which was based on Chandler as it follows an alcoholic writer. So wow. <laughs> the irony was I just didn't... amazing. That's fun. That's fascinating trivia. I had no idea The Lost Weekend was based on it's, Raymond it's, Chandler's alcoholism. Not, yeah, it's not a hundred percent based, but uh, it's about an alcoholic. Let's use the air quotes. Yeah, let's use the air quotes. That's right. Based on air quotes. But yeah, like, that's I, fascinating. I was just completely blown away when I found that out. It's awesome. I think maybe the. Um, I think maybe the. Uh, the conflict between those two perhaps comes from the sense that. Like I've always got the sense that Billy Wilder is kind of even when he's doing his darker movies and he's noir, he's kind of a funny guy. Mm-hmm. He's he knows how to and some you know honestly my favorite Billy Wilder movies I prefer a Billy Wilder comedy. To, I do too. Uh, Something like that or uh, to, yeah, the apartment. The apartment or, or right. yeah. Um, Raymond Chandler certainly does not come across very comedic. No. Um. So maybe that maybe there's a little conflict there. Maybe maybe I like to think Billy Wilder's cracking some jokes, and Raymond Chandler's having absolutely none of it and just wants to get on with the writing. Billy Wilder's saying, "Well, let's go out for a drink." Yeah, Raymond well, Chandler's maybe just not have of... a drink. <laughs> I think Chandler was sneaking off to have the drinks. Well, that's pr- yeah. See, there's me. There's me not thinking and being insensitive to Raymond Chandler's <laughs> alcoholism. I do apologise, Mister Chandler. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but let's let's get back on to uh, onto this movie. For those who do not know, it is basically one guy meets one girl. They plan to murder her husband for the insurance money. Yay! A yeah, film a about money and plot. insurance. It's very yeah. it's very straightforward. Um, I tend to like I tend to like it when insurance can be made interesting in movies yeah not even just insurance but the the part that edward g robinson plays in this film as being the insurance adjuster you know the the person that's that's investigating these claims and yeah it's gripping like the way it really is the way he's kind of putting the pieces together as basically a detective so yes it's an insurance picture but it's it's a crime picture and and you get as much out of him investigating it as you would if it was a police detective investigating it. I mean, very, and that's probably where Raymond Chandler comes into it, with the more detective elements right. of, of the of the whole thing. Anyway, uh, along the same lines, you could almost say "It's a Wonderful Life" is a building and loan movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, I guess it's you could a movie say that. about mortgages. That's right. Um, and banking, which is again, it's ridiculous how certain people are able to make, um, whether it's Frank Capra or Billy Wilder, able to make seemingly boring financial matters very, very interesting. If you have a good filmmaker, so, you can make absolutely anything interesting. Um, you know, I like to, I like to believe that's true. I like to believe that. I mean, I think maybe. Maybe certain things. I'm now trying to think of something ridiculous that 
I could never possibly find interesting, regardless of who the filmmaker may be. I mean, I'm I'm not a person that likes you know running mm. as as a hobby. Running. However, Chariots of Fire is a great movie. Swimming, swimming, competitive oh. swimming is the most boring thing. And yet, if mm. if you had but Christopher Nolan a doing a Michael Phelps film, it would probably <laughs> be fantastic. Biopic, <laughs> yes. It would probably be entertaining. <laughs> probably would be very, very entertaining. I guess if it's a sports movie, you can make it entertaining because you just have to throw in a bit of, bit of epic music, bit of oh, is he gonna win? Are they yeah. gonna win? Absolutely. No, and then they win at the last second. Day, eh? everybody celebrates. <laughs> it's just that's how sports movies go. Even if they that didn't is. win in the last second, if even if they won right off the bat, they're gonna make it feel like they won in the last second. Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, but yes, Double Indemnity. Yeah, Screw please. sports movies. <laughs> um, what are some of your favourite, uh, whether it's scenes, whether it's lines of dialogue, do you have any from this movie that really sort of stand out? Um, really, the back and forth between um, between Neff and between Mrs. Diedrichson, so between McMurray and between Stanwyck, in their mm-hmm. first encounter as he's being flirtatious with her, and really the line where she goes, you know, the the speed limit in this state is 45 miles an hour. And you were going about 90. I love that line as he just keeps kind of egging her on in, in his interest when she's, yeah. you know, showing none of it. Um, but you can tell that there, was, that there was something behind that's a, that. Yeah. That's a Billy Wilder line right there. Oh, absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, um, I happen... Yeah, go no, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just gonna elaborate a little bit more, but go. No, please do. Um, there's there's so many back and forth moments where they say, um, you know, suppose this, suppose that, suppose this, suppose that, and it felt like a tennis match. You know, you're watching the ball go one yeah. side to the other, and then finally, you know, Stanwick just you know hammers it home. And you see McMurray just kind of fade away over to to the liquor cabinet just to get a drink and and concedes the point to her. And I love that back and forth. Some of the best thing about film noir, uh, uh, any any film noir movie, is always uh, some back and forth between two people trying to one-up each other all the time. Absolutely. Whether they are, you know, lovers like in this movie, whether they are business partners, whatever it may be, friends, new acquaintances, um, and a good back and forth where, like you said, somebody just hits, just hits one home, just hits the winner, if we're going to use the analogy of the tennis match. That's and right. uh, it can really, really make you just... It's 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 difficult to tear your eyes away from these type of movies because you don't want to miss any second because you know that a certain little shot might just tell you something yep. that nothing else in the movie is going to tell you. And you have to remember that for the rest of the movie because it might mean something completely different if you had missed that. Yep. And that's what I that's another thing that I love about this. I happen to really like the actual when most of the action sort of starts to happen, the actual enacting of of the murder of Mr. Dietrichson um, on the train, mm-hmm. um, when 
Fred McMurray obviously puts on the clothes and gets the crutches and walks through the train and his face is always just hidden or in shadow and of course we have to talk about the shadows because it's film noir and lighting right. is the best thing ever and shadows and yes it's so creepy and yes but when he's walking to that to the uh, observation deck of the train on his crutches just passing all the people they're paying no attention to him he gets outside He's ready to, you know, get off and go, and dun, dun, he thinks dun. he's won. And then the one dude's just sat there. Yep. And he has to get rid of him. And it's that little split moment when he thinks, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. I'm, I'm going to, you know, reveal myself a little bit here. And he just spots him, and I forget his name. Miss, I forget that guy's name. I can't remember his name either. It's... um. It's not going to come to me, so I'll just have dead air if I think about it. <laughs> but obviously, I remember he's he also from Oregon. comes back. <laughs> he is from Oregon. He is going back, going back to Oregon. I always love how these movies are set in like L.A. as well. Um, paint a, they always film noirs always paint a really nice picture of Los Angeles as this absolutely horrendous place, um, which is always kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, obviously he comes back into the movie a little bit later on when Fred McMurray's starting to think well obviously they've committed the murder mm-hmm. they've the perfect murder. got the the perfect murder. everything's always about the perfect crime um, yep. one of my favorite perfect crime movies is Alfred Hitchcock's Rope yes uh, and I watched that for the first all... time uh, about a month ago that's a great movie all it in is that really great all in that, again, quote-unquote, one-shot, one-take movie. Right. That is just very cleverly cut. Yeah, it's just a, edited a certain perfectly. few places. Um, but yeah, when... Because you, you get the sense that Fred McMurray is starting to... He's a little bit nervous. I mean, he's quite a lot nervous. Um, he thinks he's getting away with stuff. He's picking his words very carefully. Obviously, he works very closely with Edward G. Robinson in the insurance company. Um, and Edward G. Robinson and, and him seem to be all in sync. Mm-hmm. They seem to understand each other. Nothing seems to be amiss. And then he notices that one guy from the train is sat outside uh, Edward G. Robinson's office. Yes. And he... That whole scene where Edward G. Robinson's just talking to him and he's just sort of saying, no, this is not the man I saw. This is showing him a picture of, of Mr. Dietrichson who was murdered. This is not the man I saw on the train. And then he's questioning where he knows uh, Fred McMurray from, where he knows right. Mr. Neff from. And he's just, no, I no, I don't think I go fishing no, I've never been to Oregon. Um, I love scenes like that, where it's so yeah. very close to just completely toppling, but it doesn't quite do it. I yeah. absolutely adore it. No, I completely agree. I think that's that's one of the best scenes in the movie because you really get just the reactions from Fred McMurray's face tell the whole story. Yeah. He doesn't really need a whole lot of dialogue in that other than saying, no, I don't go trout fishing, I don't fish. Um, but you can see the worry and the panic buried under the surface. 
every time um, you see the guy, uh, I just looked at it, it was Mr. Jackson. Um, every Mr. Time, Jackson. Yeah, every time Mr. Jackson just kind of, he, he takes a glance over his shoulder and he's like, I know this guy from somewhere, but where is it? And you see, you know, McMurray kind of turn and, and try to hide his face a little bit more. And just that tension that's built up in that office is just phenomenal. Yeah, very similar uh, situation as well when um, when Edward G. Robinson brings in Barbara Stanwyck. Yes, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep using people's actors' <laughs> names because Phyllis Phyllis Dietrichson. There you go. Yep. Um, he brings her in to sort of question about the insurance policy and uh, what what exactly happened to her husband. And I believe that is also the scene when you f- find out right after she leaves, right after she gets kind of mad and that maybe there's something being insinuated, um, that you might that you find out about what happened to her first husband. Right. Oh, um, oh no, no, sorry. Not her first no, husband. Not her first husband. Yeah, his first wife. His his first wife. Right. His first wife. Um, and that she may have had a hand in... Uh, See, putting an end to that poor woman as well. Heavily implied, at least. Heavily implied. And also brought up to her by uh, Walter later on. Right, yeah. Because you have that, to which she that nice not scene with Walter and, and Lola, um, where, where Lola is, you know, just explaining why she's having such problems with, with the death of her father, thinking that it wasn't you any sort of accident and Lola was kind of on to her from the beginning from years ago and like I said yeah. in, insinuating that that her mother might not have died of natural causes um, as Lola is actually was, a great little character she was um, she's not in it a lot at all no but and she plays with a lesser actress she might have been forgettable but she's maybe in what three or four scenes but yeah she's she's able to really get her her character a lot of depth in those scenes or at least some emotion in those scenes and i mean it's exactly the kind of thing uh a noir film is so good at is to is to set up this kind of friendly relationship between then uh walter and lola right who when you know she's confiding in him about how hard she's finding the the death of her father and how she suspects it was Phyllis, having no idea that it was also Walter. Right. Um, and I just love stuff like that because you, I love I love it when, as an audience, we know more than the characters. Right. In a, I mean, you get that a lot in, in mystery movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some exceptions, but you do, you do very often get it in noir movies when you are well aware of everything that's going on mm-hmm. and you're just watching the characters try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's where the fun comes from. That's where the entertainment comes from. And that's where the, the sort of, whether it's shock or relief or any sort of emotional feeling, that's always where it comes from. It is knowing that characters should make a certain decision, should say one certain thing a little bit differently but then doing something that you maybe didn't want them to do, didn't expect them to do, 
and that ending up uh, hurting them in the end, as it does with Fragment Murray. Yeah, absolutely. And when when the audience knows things that the characters don't know, and you're able to have a tightly uh, knit story, you get so much suspense out of that and so much tension because you know already the outcomes of certain things and, and you have to see how the characters are going to react or what their decision-making process is going to do to affect certain outcomes. And it can just put chills up your back for, for one thing or it can bring tears to your eyes for another knowing that they're making the wrong choices. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, okay, Barbara Stanwyck in this movie. Phyllis, mm-hmm. Phyllis Dietrichson. In terms of the... Uh, you brought it up before. Film noirs often have this femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Is she fairly highly uh, ranked, fairly highly thought of in your estimation in terms of a femme fatale? Yeah, I really think she she is very near the top, if not the top of mind for a femme fatale because she does so much, um, as I was saying, with subtle dialogue, but then also does so much with quippy dialogue. And she's able to mm-hmm. balance balance the two of being vulnerable. Um, as you see in some of her later scenes, she shows a lot of vulnerability, but is captivating in it. Um, yeah. And and her character as a whole is just so cunning and so calculated, and she's able to to make you sympathetic for her at the beginning until you realize how much, you know. Um, that she has going on behind those eyes and how much mm-hmm. she she's really planning and how much she's manipulating and then you you grow to you know despise her as the type of character she is and then she comes full circle and shows vulnerability again at the end and it's just a tidal yeah. wave of, of different emotions that she's able to get out of the audience this very damaged character mm-hmm. who is kind of living her life uh just slightly above her inner demons she feels as though she's completely in control of every situation but like you just mentioned right at the end she shows that no she will just resort back to that very similar in that way to Norma Desmond in the sense that she resorts back to uh, the things that are you know she resorts back to her inner demons when she feels she may be in control of the whole situation one of my favorite elements to this movie is another thing you also brought up uh, before it is the it is the fact that the movie is told in these in in a flashback a little mm-hmm. bit and it sort of it keeps going back to the end of the movie mm-hmm. um, every so often and the whole movie is Fred McMurray Walter Neff telling the story of the movie to or through this like I can't work out what it is to be honest with you it looks like a telephone yeah it's a recording device for inner office memos so it like records onto like a recording cylinder I mean I never used one of those Um, I don't know about you have you ever used one of those (laughs) Have have you ever have you ever used one of those weird long things that looks like a it looks. It looks like. It looks like the end of a trumpet. 
Yeah. It looks like the end of a trumpet that you speak yeah. into. It's weird. On it a hose like pipe. It's weird. It was like the bell of a, one of those old-fashioned um, telephones that you would see, you know, hanging up yeah. on the wall where you take the bell out to your ear and talk into yeah. the microphone. Yeah, it was I mean, similar to that. I, I love stuff like that. I love it all, truly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I just love how it sort of... It's not segmented in that way, but it keeps reminding you that, oh yeah, he's just telling us this story. This is not something that nobody knows. Right. You know, he. this is being told back to us. It's all, in that sense, from his perspective. You Could you refer to him as an unreliable narrator? You could, um, but I don't know that he is, because he's very self-deprecating in his narration. He's not making himself out to be the good guy he's um but also telling yeah go ahead could that could even that fact the fact that he is self-deprecating just be show him showing his guilt and in that sense he's an unreliable narrator um it's possible i don't like to think of it that way but yeah something to uh at least put in the uh the column of it's a possibility I'm just bringing up random questions to ask. No, I'm just, I just love delving into the questions that, that Noir can, can ask us. Right. Um, it, is, it is truly the genre, I think, that asks the most uh, human, moral questions. Uh, maybe aside from sci-fi, which often, often does that really well as well. Right. Um, but I, I, no, I really like the fact that it is uh, told all in narration. And obviously by the end, you get to the end, you've already seen the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort it's this, the ending is this moment of, it's not this big, grandiose uh, shootout or death or anything like that. Even though, of course, there is a, a, a certain other death in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ending itself is it's almost disappointment from Edward G. Robinson's part um, he's just kind of shocked that his colleague and his friend could do something like this he's trying to make sense of it and in the end it's kind of just like they're just sharing a smoke well it's the the end of that film is probably one of my favorite parts of the film because it's so okay. intimate. Yeah, it's so intimate, and really the the love story of Double Indemnity is more of a love story between um, Keys and um, and Neff more so than it is of Keys. I mean of Neff and of Mrs. Diedrichson because of their respect for each other, and it's like a father son relationship through the whole thing. Um, you see, Keys always comes to Neff first to kind of go over his thoughts in his head, and he wants him to be kind of his right hand man, and and you see a lot of respect between the two of them. So yeah, when you see the disappointment at the end, and you see that um, that he's not going to let him get away with anything that's transpired, um, he he shows that you know yes, you know, you're my friend and, and I'm not going to allow you to, you know, go on. And if it comes down to to having to turn you into the police or whatever, then that's what's going to happen. And the, the sharing of smoke is just a callback to so many other parts of that movie where 
you know yeah he's getting his cigarette or his cigar lit from from Neff and they just have the role reversed and yeah. I, I just think it's very touching and it's very subtle and it could have been one of these big shootouts but Billy Wilder knew that with those two that's where the story kind of ends and you don't need to have anything else added on top of it when you have um, a good scene like that you don't really need to go over the top and add to it just because you can or just because some audience members might want more I that's, that is a fascinating reading I, I actually think that's, that's the first time I've ever heard of uh, this movie being thought of as a, a love story actually between the two friends mm-hmm. of, uh, of Keys and Neff and I absolutely love that. Yeah. I am going to have to watch this again with that in mind now and see it in a whole new perspective, and I think that is what is beautiful about this movie. I also feel like Billy Wilder loves ending his movies on just one little scene of intimate dialogue. Yeah. Whether, it's, whether it is his comedy movies, his, you know, his rom-coms, you think of the ending of both Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, mm-hmm. they're those little iconic lines of dialogue um especially some like it hot best ending I mean, line of all time yeah <laughs> no you don't understand <laughs> i'm a guy well nobody's, nobody's perfect, perfect because he doesn't care and it's perfect you think of the apartment which is i think I, I believe, i'm paraphrasing it's been a little while since but it's something like you know you're absolutely perfect or something like that Mm-hmm. Which I think is the ending of the of the apartment. Yeah, which again, that's another one just, I need to rewatch. Um, certainly, I'm due a, a rewatch of of the apartment. I think, um, but again, it's just a, a, an intimate moment. Um, less so in Sunset Boulevard. Yes, which is a little more grandiose, um, but it is kind of all, all character driven, at least mm-hmm. more than action driven. Um, but this movie, yeah, very much so. And by this point, um, Walter has almost realised that realised the evil of his ways, and he has done away with Phyllis. He has killed Phyllis, but not before she shot him first. Mm-hmm. Um, but she couldn't pull the second shot. She couldn't yeah. shoot twice because. Could could something like that ever happen again? It's just perfect. Um, there's clearly some sort of connection between those two. Um, they couldn't have done. They couldn't have gone through the movie doing what they were doing if they hadn't have been. If it was just, oh, this is a guy who can help me, you know, murder my husband and claim the insurance. There is a little, as as much as maybe Phyllis Dietrichson doesn't want to admit it by the end, there's a little bit of something there. Yeah, there's just two damaged people, and they're yeah. able they're able to kind of fulfill the needs of of each other. And you know, Walter Neff is just this straight laced guy for the most part, but you can tell that that he's not doing this just because he's attracted to, to Phyllis. He's doing this because he wants to, to try to see if he can get away with it. You know, he wants to see if he's smarter than, than yeah. keys. And, 
and I think that's more of his motivation than than she is, even though it's the attraction at first that gets him involved with it. I think he feels, okay, well, I'm smarter than the smart guys. I can get away with this. Mm -hmm. I can plan the perfect situation. And I think that's really where his motivations come from more than getting with Phyllis. But she is such a damaged character just from her interactions with pretty much everybody that's that's on camera um her interactions with walter range from you know being compassionate to being just enraged and the same thing when she goes into to interview with with keys and she comes in very you know kind of melancholy and by the end she's screaming that she's going to sue and all these things so she's able to kind of change on a dime and you can tell that nothing is sincere yeah it is uh yeah again it's just perfect sometimes it leaves me a little bit speechless mm-hmm. because the these type of movies often do that they off, they make you think so much it it also brings up the question of um two damaged people uh getting together as it were for a certain time does it help does it hinder which is a, such a big question it's an age old question which ca- can't be answered no um but it is just an example of how smart noir movies are and of how um, bold I think they are as well in in the sense that questions like that are not often asked in, in movies, especially today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it makes it makes these ones so worthwhile watching, checking out if you if never you've never watched, you know, a noir movie before, if you've never watched this movie before. It you know, stuff like that even though it's kind of difficult sometimes um, not to watch in a sense of what's happening is so horrible that, you know, you could, you'll turn your face away and be disgusted by it. But if you look and think a little bit deeper into it, it'll sit with you for days. Mm-hmm. And uh, But sometimes the best movies do that. That's what they are for. And that is why we, we kind of love them, even though... They make us uh, have a bit of a mental crisis, Especially which is good. Every Billy now Wilder and again. movies. <laughs> Especially Billy Wilder movies. Less so his comedies. Go and watch The Apartment after this. You'll be yeah. cheerful. Uh, yeah, it'd be. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I love it so much. Uh, James, is there anything else you want to say about Double Indemnity? Oh, Any man. other things that you feel? You just simply must bring up in a conversation about this movie. I just, I, th- I think people need to just go into this movie knowing that it doesn't matter whether you know what the outcome of the film is. Um, you're pretty much told in the first two, three yeah. minutes what the outcome of this film is. Um, but it's the path to getting there. It is the journey that you're going on with... Uh, Fred McMurray with Barbara Stanwyck with Edward G. Robinson in a very tight Billy Wilder script with beautiful cinematography with great music coming in um, it is a fun but tragic story and it's really one of those films that like I said I first watched this just for the first time maybe three years ago and okay. it's become one of my top favorite films um, it's 
one of those movies that it will grab you and just take you on this journey and you just go with the ride and you can pick up something new every time you watch it. Um, I've noticed things just in my rewatch um, for this that I never picked up on in my previous viewing. So it's, it's a movie that just gets better with age. I mean, it's 1944 when this movie came out and it holds up yeah. to this day. So I, I love it. It's such a great movie. It is, it is a very timeless movie as mm-hmm. well i feel even though it is you know a lot of noir movies do have that aesthetic to them where everybody's wearing a long coat and a hat and a suit and all all the women are dressed in these gowns and smoking and it looks like it's the 40s quite obviously mm-hmm. but it is timeless in that sense i always feel like movies of any era uh, are at the best when they can be in a a time period and recognize they are in a time period without beating you over the head with it. Yeah, um, this is this feels like the 40s but it feels like the real 40s. You know, it doesn't exactly. feel like some exaggerated version of the 40s. Um Exactly. So yeah, it feels um, like a real lived-in place and it feels like real people. You know, it's it's a very grounded film. Again, I bring uh, I'm going to bring up Sunset Boulevard again. My like I said before, my personal favorite uh, Billy Wilder mm-hmm. movie, um, a very real movie about the the damages of uh, when maybe in the fifties all these you know maybe movies were coming out about uh, and everybody thought oh Hollywood's so great you can go to Hollywood be a star be rich uh, do all these wonderful Hollywood uh, Hollywood ish things. Mm-hmm. But also, let's look at the real thing. And the real thing might be you turn into Norma Desmond. Yeah. If you if you stay if you either stay too long, um, can't move on. It's the day. It's the it's the real side. It's the gritty side. It's the grounded side. It's the darker side, but a side to the time, whether it, you know, or, or the side to living in Hollywood, in the sense of Sunset Boulevard, um, is a time that is really worth knowing about. Because mm-hmm. we can always have these really great... And it's it's a big reason why we do this very show, is because we love older movies. We love that time period. And we have this sort of romanticism of it. Sometimes it's nice to realise... That it's actually a real place and everybody had their own struggles as well. And it wasn't this perfect era of perfection. There is damaging stuff going on. And that is, I think, if you want that, if you want that realisation, and it's well worth having sometimes because it can be really rewarding. Um, Film noir is the best genre to do that with. Um... Yes, you get your entertaining mystery in there nearly all the time. Or your romance that you might really like and that, and you'd be able to go on with this story. They're often very simple movies as well, which, as we said before, this is a fairly simple movie. There's nothing overly complex that you need to think about the plot a lot. Mm-hmm. But it is the, it's the questions, it's the depictions of the time or, or the, the area and what's going on that is really the standout element to 
to any film noir for me and certainly with double indemnity as well yep. and you're making me want to go revisit sunset boulevard now so thank you for that i appreciate it <laughs> i mean I, I maybe wouldn't do it just yet maybe watch something cheerful first yeah yeah maybe maybe go and watch one of the comedies um one of the billy Wilder. i mean watch any billy wilder movie the man was a machine for making phenomenal movies one after one after another yes. um completely agree every single you know you can go on a run if if i was really tuned into my uh movie release dates right now i could quite easily go on a run of chronological billy wilder movies that are just outstanding and it may last like 15 years where it's just one after each other of just yeah that's a classic that's great yeah that's one of the best yes oh yeah and again um, is that a miss? Uh, no, no, that's not a miss either. Yeah, and again, very few filmmakers in history have been a, have, have, have made the career that Billy Wilder yeah. uh, has made. It's a very high batting average. A very high batting average. Was he good at baseball, though? Probably not. I don't believe so. <laughs> I can't imagine Billy Wilder was the best baseball player. I mean, bat, batting a solid, uh, solid 150, maybe. Very poor. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. You're you're a newly uh, James, formed baseball fan, so we'll forgive it. I, I I mean I am a newly formed baseball fan. Um, newly formed baseball fan. I like baseball, James. I like I like baseball, even though um, my chosen team may come into question sometimes. I like that's your chosen because team. I've watched. Yeah. Oh, that's very you're nice. You're a you you're say. a chosen Mets fan, correct? I'm a chosen Mets fan. That's fine. I'm in no way related to the New York Mets from but, birth. But hey, if you had to choose whatever. a New York team, at least you chose the Mets <laughs> instead of jumping on a Yankees bandwagon. That's what I, that's what people keep saying to me, James, and I'm very thankful that I chose the non that I chose the 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 team of the people. Not but the at the same time, you're the, in uh, for years of losing, just as I am as an yeah. Orioles fan. So yes, but. Uh, isn't isn't doesn't doesn't constant loss just make the wins feel better? Absolutely, that's what I tell myself for the last thirty years. I think that's a very positive way to end this episode, <laughs> James. Constant loss makes the wins feel better. <laughs> Thank you very much for being oh, on this episode pleasure. today. It has been an absolute blast. What are you up to? Where can everybody find you at? What do you do? Uh- uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Letterboxd doing all my movie ratings at Gator24. It's G4TOR24. Um, and I've been competing in some of the trivia fan leagues. You can catch me competing in multiplex um, and also full metal trivia, doing some movie trivia around there and hopefully winning matches. It is fair to say, I think, that you are a minor league veteran. Yes, um, we'll, we'll we'll give it that one. <laughs> which uh, is, a, is a good thing to be. There is no shame in that, James. Hey, we're, no. we'll take it. I'll take a compliment when I can take one. I think it was a compliment. I it sounded it in my head like it was a compliment. <laughs> now, now I'm starting to maybe think it wasn't a compliment. I'm as conflicted as a protagonist in a noir movie, and yep. what a horrendous place for one's mind to be. Um. Thank you again, James, for 
being here today and recording this episode with me. It has been a blast. It has been episode 64, 5... I've lost count, and I often like to lose count because, as we all know, I'm ridiculous. Um, it's in the mid-60s of episodes of It's a Wonderful Podcast. Talking Double Indemnity from 1944, directed by Billy Wilder, starring the great Fred McMurray, the great Barbara Stanwyck, and the great Edward G. Robinson. Uh, of course, a relation to me. No, he's not really. That's a lie. Um, yeah. Until next time, guys, I have one more question for James. Have you seen Midsummer? I've not seen it yet. I went to see it the other day, and it wasn't playing at the time I was there. So this week, hopefully. I'm going to keep asking everybody if they've seen Midsummer because I saw it, and it's my favorite movie of the year by far. Right. Folk horror is the best. Um, yeah. I like Hereditary, so... Yeah. I'm just happy. I'm just happy all round. It's great. I like being I like being pleased. I like being happy about movies, James. And this movie has made me very happy. I can't um, wait to see it. So is Double Indemnity. So there you go. Guys, thank you again for listening. You can find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E in there, because three is the magic number. Or on Instagram at just the Purple Don. Find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Uh, check it out on the on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Castbox, Google Podcasts, various other places. Leave those five star rating reviews on the Apple Podcast. It helps a lot, and we will love you forever. And read out your review with a nice big yay, thank you, you're great on the show. Um, check out Morgan hasn't seen with me and Janine. We are in our Fast and Furious uh, series now, and yes, I'm watching the Fast and Furious movies for the first time. And isn't it going swimmingly? Our first episode um, on that, focusing on the first two movies in that franchise, came out this past Wednesday. Let's go and check that out as well, uh, because, you know, me and Janine like to do stupid things on that show, and, you know, make silly noises and laugh as opposed to actually talking about the movie we should be talking about um which maybe doesn't bode well for the actual podcast but i digress um what else can you do that is about it thank you again guys for listening to another episode of it's a wonderful podcast until next week when i don't know what we'll be doing that's the fun thing about this having guests on I don't know what we'll be doing. It opens us up to yet more discovery of wonderful older movies, and that is exactly what we love on this show. But thank you for the 17th time, and until next time, bye.